to episode three of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we take a deep dive into the role of sustainability, wellness, and community in real estate today. This episode takes us to James Murray, an expert in the big tech workplace, currently at Amazon as head of workplace experience and portfolio management, covering around 130 buildings spread across 32 countries within the EMEA region. A conversation touches on what he calls the world's biggest work from home pilot, by Affilia's role in employee well-being, Amazon's preference for multi-use fitness rooms over dedicated gyms, the role of ground and first floor amenities in creating central energy hubs within the workplace, team totems to foster a sense of community, how to think of the workplace as a theater, and the increasing importance of green and healthy building certification systems. Jamie is a dynamic leader and a vocal advocate for the workplace of the future. He's doing his thing for one of the world's most valuable businesses. Nadamas, enjoy the show. Jamie, thanks for joining us from what is presumably a temporary work from home office in Luxembourg. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Jamie, perhaps just to set the scene, you could describe a little bit about your, your professional background and your role at Amazon Workplace today. Yeah, sure, Matt. So uh, I've been with Amazon for, for close to five years now. My role is um, the head of workplace experience and portfolio management. Um, that effectively means you know, a, a key focus on employee experience within the physical environment. Um, it also means that I'm responsible for kind of the day-to-day management of our existing portfolio and helping plan for our future portfolio. So I work really closely with <clears throat> with our business teams, um, of which there are many under the umbrella of Amazon, to really business partner with them, understand their you know their needs, their growth, uh, how they use their space, what's working for them, and what's not working. Um, just in terms of kind of some of the numbers, we, we've currently got about 130 odd uh, buildings across 32 countries, and that's really across the Europe, Middle East, and Africa region. Um, <clears throat> a little bit about my background before uh, joining, I kind of started out my career close to 20 years ago now, uh, working for charities in the UK, so specifically around helping them develop uh, management uh, plans, focusing on technology and real estate to help enable that change. Um, And then I worked for a number of years for key service providers like um, CBRE and JLL. Um, So I've got a, yeah, quite a broad breadth of, uh, of experience in, you know, transaction management, uh, portfolio management, a little bit about FM and really uh, for the last 10 or so years around, around workplace. Yeah. We're, we're recording this obviously at at an interesting time, perhaps a turbulent time uh, for the workplace, uh, but it, it would be, I think, remiss of us not to begin a conversation around this theme with uh, at least a cursory glance at, at what you see happening around us right now. It's Surely there are, there are both opportunity and challenges in what's going on in regards to people and planet and the relationship with, with the workplace, and nobody's doing it better than the big tech guys at the moment. So how are you seeing things? What, are you, what is going on around you in that world? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, undoubtedly more has happened really in the last kind of 90 to 100 days um, in terms of the the world of, of workplace and, and office management than has probably happened in the last 15 to 20 years, if not longer, certainly as long as I've been working in the industry. And I think, you know, from a position where, you know, a lot of companies weren't really well prepared for this type of thing. I think what it's shown is that through, you know, what is typically a, an outsourced delivery model, um, there is a lot of agility in that system and there is a lot of ability to move, uh, you know, move and flex as needed. I think with the COVID-19 piece, it's been super interesting because, you know, almost overnight, uh, you know, kind of 95 to 97% of of the company uh, have effectively gone into a role and worked from from anywhere. You know, it can be home, um, but it can also be you know other locations that that best suits people's needs. And I think that's really really interesting. It's you know effectively the world's biggest work from home pilot has happened. Um, you know, for, for the reason of of the virus that's out there. And I think what's interesting is is measuring you know, how that's working. Um, so, you know, part of my role is working with all of our, our business leaders to understand, you know, what's working well for them, what's not working well. And the overarching feeling and data is showing that it's working pretty well. There are always exceptions. There are, you know, people that maybe have, you know, physical or personal constraints that it simply doesn't work. Um, I think everyone's in the boat now of, of joining those video calls where you see, you know, kids running around or, or dogs barking, whatever it may be. And I think that's that's not a bad thing. I think it adds a layer of, um, you know, kind of humility. It adds, you know, personal experience. And it kind of, you know, takes down a little bit of that veneer of the corporate office environment. And that's not a bad thing because that helps people build trust and, and relationships. So I think it's it's been a super interesting time and in, kind of to try to get to your your question. Um, and I think we're working through how we safely and securely re reintegrate people back into the you know the office environment. That's absolutely our primary concern is you know the health and safety of employees. Um, and I think also what we're seeing is a lot of people are in no rush to come back in. Um, to the workplace um, just because of, you know, a variety of factors. I think the, the benefit that's happened is a lot of people have kind of hit the pause button and they're looking at how to best either schedule their day or their week um, to best suit their needs. I think, you know, I'm hearing a lot of anecdotal evidence that people are kind of happier and healthier. People are maybe doing those runs that they never got a chance to do at lunchtime. There may be you know, buying better food in the supermarket. So I think that's a really interesting angle. I'm seeing a lot of other companies looking at how they can quantify that and measure, you know, either through Fitbits or, or Apple Watches, whatever it may be, um, you know, those those steps or those heart rates or those sleep patterns. And I think that's really, really interesting to actually put some data around some of that anecdotal feedback that I'm hearing. So then within a role that effectively is about you know, building one of the world's finest portfolios of commercial office spaces um you want to be the best in the best like how is that impacting then um that your perspective on building that portfolio is it a case of you having to slim down if you look sort of 24 months down the line or is it more a case of reusing or repurposing or giving a different focus to the workspace but keeping the same 
sizes, the same floor plates, or are you having to slim down over the next, say, two to three years? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it, the simple answer is it, it's way too early to tell. We, we just don't know. Um, so I think, you know, ask me again in, in six to 12 months and we'll have a better picture. But, uh, you know, it, it's something we're looking at. Um, and I think undoubtedly one thing that needs to happen is, you know, design, office design in particular needs to be people and function led rather than just real estate led. And, and that applies kind of cross industry it applies not just for tech companies, but for all companies really. And I think, you know, if you look at kind of standard office design, you've got some great spaces, but they're few and far between. And, and then you've got a lot of mediocre average to actually really bad spaces. And that's in terms of the, you know, the layout, the functionality, the furniture, the look and feel, you know, the, the lack of biophilia, whatever it may be. And I think now, you know, COVID has probably allowed people to reflect on that a lot is, you know, the workplace needs to be a destination that people want to come into. Um, and, you know, it, it also needs to be flexible and agile to change because, you know, name me one company where you've got exactly the same type of employee. It, it just doesn't really happen. You've always got business divisions. You've got different teams. Um, you know, at, at Amazon, there's probably about 150 different businesses, um, all of whom are, you know, tend to be quite siloed in their in their operational structure just by design. And so, you know, any workspace that we design has to be relevant to those individual teams who grow and move and change and are dynamic. So it needs to be uh, the, the design needs to be flexible, living and very much function stroke people led. So I think by putting employees at the heart of, of design is going to really allow companies to set up their space correctly in the future. But it's um, it almost needs to be I, I kind of I like the analogy and I've heard this a few times um, over the years that it needs to be like a theater where you've got you've got the back of the back of house, you know, the the stage setting, and that can change regularly, either through, you know, intervals, performances, week on week, month on month, whatever it is. And you need to design your spaces to have that agility because the world continues to change and will continue to change. You know, what we know today will change tomorrow. And um, and our, our office design has to reflect that. Is that then purely a case of of moving furniture around, or is it is it deeper than that? Does it affect actually your the way the kind of floor plates that you might be looking for, or is it simply okay? We're going to change this uh, communal zone into more of a quiet working zone, or or give it a different purpose? Is it something? Is it that type of flexibility, or do you need something that goes deeper into the more sort of architectural or engineering level of the building? Yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit of both, right? I mean, you're bringing up a great topic there around kind of smart buildings you know efficient floor plates how they're how they're structured from you know hvac um you know infrastructures as well um i think you know I, i'd never heard of the merv rating up until about two weeks ago three weeks ago which is now a very a very relevant topic right because people are looking at quality of air circulation they're looking at natural light and I think, again, it, it really depends. I think it's a bit of both. I think I like the idea of, of flexible furniture solutions that allow for kind of a little bit of tailoring to individual business needs, but not too much. Um, 
I think you've got to think about the practicality of, of large scale organizations and their reporting structures as well. Um, you know, what tends to happen with corporate real estate functions is they either report up through kind of HR uh, or or through kind of the CFO type org. And I think both of those kind of lenses have a different focus point. Um, you know, HR tends to be more about employees and employee experience. Um, CFO is clearly around numbers and metrics. So I think for big companies, they need to, you know, work with the constraints that they have and within their reporting structures. And you're always going to have to, because we're talking about large scale here, you know, we're talking about millions and millions of square feet. Um, you have to be able to do these things at, at scale and with flexibility. So I do think having, you know, that, that element of customization um, is needed. But but just on the right level. And how do you think then, in terms of fostering uh, deliberately interactions, fostering increases in interaction, or offering opportunities for staff on, on a large scale to to have some sense of shared identity and a community in in the within the workspace? If they're all doing their different things, like what strategies do you use uh, to to if you like create that those opportunities? Yes, yeah, so it's a great question, and it's absolutely something we, you know, we think about, we work on a lot. You know, we um, we look at it really from the kind of employee journey. So that really starts with everything from, you know, transportation, be it on a bike or on a bus, or you know, still um, around kind of car sharing. You know, still there are some areas and some geographies that still use the car more than others um so we start with the employee journey and then it's really what what does that flow look like through a building and what is that experience when you come in through the front door or up through the elevators you know you want a effectively what we refer to as a, a kind of center of energy and that's somewhere that just feels great smells great looks great that people come into be it an employee who's in that building every day or a visitor that comes in, or even a candidate who comes in for an interview and who may be choosing between, you know, other big tech firms or other companies. And it's almost like, you know, like I said, a center of energy, which is a great place to be. And then from there, you kind of branch out into more of your working environments, more of your collaboration spaces, more of your, you know, focused areas, um, on the upper on the upper floors of a building so it tends to be kind of ground and first floor where you've got a visual impact of that center of energy that that really points towards collaboration it's that community space that that we can often use for you know local artists to showcase their work or uh, even internal business teams to showcase new products or services and then on the upper floors um, to your question about how we foster you know team identity which is a really really important factor we work with kind of team neighborhoods effectively. So teams will be given a, a neighborhood and they're, they're absolutely expected to kind of customize that. We use, you know, team totems as well, uh, where, you know, people can put up anything from, you know, dog pictures to baby pictures of themselves, you know, to their products and services. So it, it, it's really wide and varied, but it allows people that that you know you need to have a central focus point you need to have points of reference you need to know kind of where you belong so we've got um kind of town hall type spaces like i mentioned in the center of energy and then we've got you know team neighborhoods on the individual working floors and and that works really well 
So those individual team totems then, for example, like that would be, if you like, filling the gap where a private allocated desk right. would previously have been, right? There are no allocated desks. Well, there are. There are. There's a mixture because, again, it's not it's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, but in general, we have, you know, a balance of kind of, uh, you know, agile spaces um, where, you know, they're, they're unassigned and then we have fixed, which are assigned. And that's because, you know, the population of, of employees at, at all big uh, tech companies is, you know, a balance of kind of knowledge workers. So, you know, people that have a, a mixed variety of a day with meetings and calls and so on. And then those that are much more kind of resident, so they tend to be, you know, 80% or more at their individual workplace, and they tend to have technology constraints. So, you know, developers is a good example, software developers um, who are writing code, who have specific technical requirements. There are also individual that have, individuals that have, you know, personal constraints, be it visual impairments or, you know, a- any other type of disability. You touched on the idea of certain amenities being, um, if you like, essentials. Um, for example, like I'm guessing bike bike uh, facilities or a changing room. Like, wh- where are things going with that? Like, what what would you now classify as pretty much essential pieces of that mm-hmm. puzzle? And what do you think are perhaps sort of the nice to haves today that might yet become essential? elements going forward over the next five years i mean from the gym to a a recharge room or a a mother's lactation room and things like that yeah so we've got you know we've got um kind of our our design principles and and guidelines that we use for for all of our new spaces and you know that was a big piece of work we did um kind of 2016 2017 and and it's you know it's it's a it's a live document i'd say so it's continually changing based on our our internal customers' needs. Um, so, you know, to your first point, what's kind of, what's a must-have? I mean, we've got things that we absolutely have um, in most of our buildings, which are, you know, things like uh, mother's rooms where, you know, uh, mothers can come in, like you said, to to express breast milk or even if they come in with, uh, you know, with their babies um, to change them. We've got um, bike bike facilities, showers. We've got uh, multi, multi-faith multi uh, rooms as well where people can go meditate or, or, or pray. Um, and, you know, so those are, those are some of the areas that we have outside of the typical kind of working spaces, social, you know, connect type environments. Um, I think you touch on a good one with Jim, and I know that you know the great work that you've done with the likes of the uh, you know the Karolinska Institute and and Singita as well. I really enjoyed listening to to both of those podcasts. But gyms are an interesting one because some people love gyms and some people don't love gyms. And so the way we look at things is you know it needs to be um, to the benefit of of everyone. And so a gym kind of is, it can be pretty divisive. You know, some people just don't enjoy it or don't want to go to it. So what we try to do is, is again, to that point of flexibility, which is creating spaces that can be curated or changed to be used for different purposes. So they tend to be kind of multi-purpose type rooms um, that, you know, on a Monday could be a meditation class. On a Tuesday, it could be a pottery uh pottery class on a Wednesday it could be a a boxing martial arts class all of which are kind of curated by external parties but allow that range of kind of 
um, that range of involvement by anyone and everyone. And I think that's an important differentiation. So you've got, rather than having a space that would typically be used as a gym, it, it can be used for a you know high intensity training or a CrossFit type workout with removable items, just as it can be used for a photography lesson. You mentioned the word biophilia a little earlier on as well. Um, and it seems like really nobody's doubling down on that more so than, than the big tech firms. It's just fascinating to see what's happening and how far the theme can be pushed. How do you, from, from the inside looking out, how do you see the role of, of nature and biophilia within the workplace? Like what is the, is it about the brand and, and the brand perception? Is it about employee wellness primarily? How do you see that? It's absolutely about employee experience, um, and and part of that is wellness. So, you know, I know that you've you've seen the spheres in Seattle. I mean, that is a you know a hugely impressive um, building. I was lucky enough to be involved in, you know, in some of the early stages of that project, and and really see it um, from you know from design through to construction through to you know full operation now, and it's you know it's a massively impressive structure uh, with a huge amount of floras and faunas in there but also with a, a really considered range of settings that can be used for you know individual focus work collaboration team meetings and so i think um you know when you when you see the the cfo of the company sitting in those in those buildings holding regular one-to-one meetings you know you think wow you know this is this is absolutely incredible and i think um you know the experience that people get and the feedback that that companies get on on using uh, that type of space for what would normally be considered just a standard office environment, you know, is, is really kind of a revelation for a lot of people. And it and it's very much improving the overall experience of the workplace and the physical environment. Now, wellness is absolutely part of that. I think um, when you look at it outside of kind of uh, the headquarters of Amazon in Seattle, and you look at a, you know a building uh, in you know Munich or London, you also need to be practical about how that biophilia is used, how it's um, procured, how it's maintained as well by you know facility management teams, and so th- there is absolutely a balance of kind of design and you know an actual pure benefit from it, but it's. It, it's it's really um, it's it's really well received. It's really well liked. People have been crying out for it for years. And I think you know, even if you've got maybe some synthetic or artificial plants in certain areas that are maybe hard to maintain. So I'm thinking large atriums where you maybe have you know behind reception desks that typically you can't go clean or water that often that's okay because people still get a benefit from it visually there may be no you know there may be no um uh kind of other benefits from an air quality perspective from those but visually that's also a big element around wellness that people feel that their workplace is you know designed well is thoughtful is considerate and that there's a balance between yeah kind of real and and fake plants i would say just one final question then. You've, you obviously have your own internal guidelines and really with the spheres, I think you sort of rewrote the, the rule book there. I mean, you know, it's almost as if the green building certifications or healthy building certifications, I'm not sure they could 
even keep up with that. You really took a giant leap forward. How do you see, is there a role or how do you see the role of certifications like LEED and WELL within your brief and your requirements when looking for a new workplace or thinking about integrating one of those um, strategies into into what you do? Is there a role for it or have you moved into really delivering it yourselves? No, absolutely. It's a great question. Absolutely, there is. And I think, you know, there's a lot of responsibility now on landlords to to do better jobs. I think the the real estate, the corporate real estate market um, has been way too landlord heavy and focused for the last, you know, 20, if not 30 years where they've had it really good. They just knew that people would come and lease their space and they did very little to to focus on the benefits of their occupiers or the individual uh, employee benefits. And I think that's changing now. I think COVID's probably a little bit of a catalyst there for that change. I think you're looking at you know, there's a lot of all of a sudden everyone's an expert in workplace overnight. You know, you're seeing articles popping up about the, the death of the office and nobody's ever going to lease office space again. You know, I, I, I fundamentally disagree with that. I just think that there's going to be more considered focus on the types of real estate and the the, the fact that the, the real estate needs to be a, de- a destination effectively and it needs to be working for the the users of that space so i think there's around certifications i think it it goes without saying that landlords are going to have to up their game they're going to be they're going to need to be aligned to to these great building standards because the employees using their spaces will expect it the the companies leasing their space will look at that versus one that doesn't have it and will more than likely choose the one that does have it and Jamie, beyond the obvious Amazon.com, is there a site where if anyone's interested in, in the relationship between Amazon and how they think of the workplace, is there a, any specific web references that might be useful or relevant? You know, there's not really. Um, I think a lot of it is is not um, is not broadcast out there. But, um, you know, you can connect with me on, on LinkedIn or, you know, or Instagram as well. So I'm happy to, to field any questions and, and contacts that way. Jamie, conscious of your time, you're doing great work. It's uh, it's been fascinating to see your your career develop over the years. Keep it up, man. No, thank you. It was a pleasure. Speak soon.